G'day coaches, I've got some great news. My online course, Evolve Rugby, is ready and part one is going to be launched on October 31st, 2022. On top of that, I'll be offering a discounted price for listeners of the podcast first before advertising the course anywhere else. I want to reward you for being such loyal listeners of the show. Check out the rugbycoachescorner.com and hit the online course tab to sign up for your discount code. I'll also put a link to the website in the show notes of this episode. 12 video modules, downloadable PDF worksheets, a reflective journal, closed Facebook community, and more is what you'll get with Evolve Rugby. I can't wait to launch this thing, so check out the website in the show notes and enjoy this episode. Cheers. to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Alright, welcome to episode 107 of the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Josh Macy. Josh is the head coach of Lindenwood University in the United States. Having started playing the sport in college, he then went on to coach in a variety of summer camps and then eventually made his way to Guatemala, where he had a major role in introducing the sport there. He's even captained their national team, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show now. Uh, so welcome, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no no problems. And um, well, before we get into your playing backstory, uh, Guatemala, I've, I've been there twice as a backpacker. I absolutely love that country. Um, and I, uh, I can see how you get, uh, you get hooked in there. Yeah, so my wife and I were there for three years. Uh, oh, sweet. As- yeah, as like international volunteer teachers at a small school in uh, Quetzaltenango. If you were a backpacker, yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, through. I went there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so sure. Shayla, Shayla is what you know Guatemalans or travelers would call it, and mm-hmm. uh, you know we we had a little apartment, and uh, you know, and just talking about sport with my you know a bunch of my Guatemalan buddies, a few expat buddies I made. Uh, we just decided to start having practices, you know, we'd mess around with a ball and, yeah. uh, you know, and then of course, uh, you know, everybody's hanging out in the evening and we're saying, Oh, we should start a team. We should start a team. This is so fun. And, uh, we, we, we sat, I'm sure you'd be, you'd been in this exact spot before. If, if you'd been to the city, we sat at this huge pass through, like where tons of people would walk by and we sat there with a pad of paper and uh, mm. every time, every time somebody even remotely athletic walked by, we'd call them over. And if they were an expat, I would, you know, speak to them. And mm. if they were, if they were Guatemalan, my buddies would speak to them. And we, we said we would try to have a real practice when we filled up two pages of names and phone numbers and email addresses. And cool. uh, yeah, and it, it took us a couple nights, you know, we had to do a lot of hard yards with the buckets of beer and talking to strangers and things like that. But we eventually got there. And uh, I think in, in the hundred text messages we sent and emails we sent, 
Mm. We ended we ended up with like twelve people that showed up for the first practice. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, I'm sure I have a photo somewhere, but it was you know some guys I taught with and friends of friends and mm. and and a few random people. And uh, I mean, it, to this day, it's one of the most rewarding processes I've ever you know been involved with in in rugby. Uh, you know, and from there we um, you know we set up little flyers around the town and these guys who uh, went to university in Cuba, there's a lot of French influence in Cuban universities. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they taught rugby in Cuba. Yeah. And so they were teaching in, uh, in Guatemala, in Guatemala city. And they, uh, they called me one day, they got my phone number from one of those little flyers and I didn't speak Spanish at the time and they didn't speak English. So I actually gave the phone to one of my Guatemalan students and he negotiated the first match. And he said, <laughs> They're going to start a team in Guatemala City. We have a team like here in Shela. Your first match is November. And he handed me the phone and went back and sat at his desk. That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure that student's like a CEO somewhere now or, yeah. or something like that. He, you know, <laughs> it's like he was my agent on the phone, you know, getting getting our first action around. And then the other thing he said was, uh, oh, they don't have any equipment. They need you to send them some. <laughs> and mm. so... So I think the, I, the other guy on the other end of the phone is the CEO. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so I petitioned uh, some of the clubs that I had played for, and and I had done a, a little bit of coaching uh, mm. here in the states, and and they, you know, they kind of gathered up some balls and cones, and so the Austin Huns I had played for, uh, you know, who who eventually became Austin Elite, and now. Yep the Gilgronies. Yeah. Uh, I had, I had played what? for the rich, the rich, not Lions. the greatest name. Just no, no, I, I'm with you on that one. And, uh, <laughs> and then the Richmond lions. And I had, I had coached a little bit at the university of Maryland, Baltimore County, very, very small school in Maryland. Mm -hmm. And, and they actually got a load of stuff together. Uh, and, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. The, the mail system didn't work that well in Guatemala when we were there. So we had to, we basically bought a bus ticket for a bag of balls and oh, put it underneath hilarious. the bus yeah and told them you know it's on the it's on the five o'clock galgos bus leaving it's a greyhound bus leaving shayla to guatemala city and they had to be right there to like mm. get it off of the bottom of the bus and then oh, i've been to those bus stations too that's oh, total chaos I, oh yeah absolutely <laughs> absolute chaos and yeah. but it's the best kind of chaos you know and it's uh like that's the stuff that you know traveling can do mm. for, for a young person right it kind of yeah. gave me initiative and uh opportunity to you know to to develop the game in my own way develop my own opinions about the game and yeah. I, I i think a lot of those lessons are are with me you know to this day yeah you get that freedom too like it's not your your yeah sure you might be seen as an authority on on the game because of your background and that you've played it before uh but you're also you're not in a an area where the game is played heavily so you get to experiment a lot it's very safe you get to make a bunch of mistakes and uh yeah you 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 get to really kind of tap into the authenticity of the game and and, and what it can do for people absolutely and you know a lot said now about how people respond to the game uh, especially in the professional world uh mm. with the with the introduction of social media right so yeah. you, you know you you might as a coach be really excited about an activity you've come up with and maybe you put it on twitter like to just because you're proud of it or something and you have some like you have somebody who's not even coaching being like oh well when i was in schools mate well, you know we never did that yeah. and and it's like everybody has a license to criticize everybody else and mm. i kind of 
I kind of appreciate that back then I was in my own little world, right? And yeah. if I wanted to try something, there, there was really no fear on what players thought of it, what other coaches thought of it, or, you know, and, and now you have people who are, uh, frankly, scared to lose their jobs, right? Because yeah. they're, because they're kind of, you know, had how to add, how to add out, uh, like publicly or anything like that. And they're, they're, they're worried they're going to get found out, right? It's that, mm. it's that imposter syndrome that yeah. every coach deals with a little bit, but for what sure. if you were, yeah. What if you were coaching in a vacuum and, and none of that mattered at all, right? What would you do yeah. differently? Yeah. Well, I think that that's, you know, Michael Checker has pros and cons, but one of the things I really like about him is he, he's got so much else going on in his life that essentially rugby coaching for him is a hobby and he mm. just does it at the highest level. So he's, his philosophy is, he just loves the game and he loves being around the boys and he loves getting the group together and to perform. And I think that's, that's, that's a quality that every coach can grab onto and just say, you know what, I, I just do it because I love it. And it's easier said than done. But uh, if, if you can keep that mindset and be, be true to the sport, um, it can be a, a pretty, a pretty lonely place sometimes as a, as a head coach. And, you know, God knows what it's like at the professional level when you're losing. Um, so I, I think there's some good messages there. Yeah. And, and I think I'm sure the, the players Cheka has coached over the years have taken a lot from that mindset as well. You know, I think uh, I've coached a number of players who are just so desperate to make something of themselves, um, mm. you know, be, because too much of their identity is wrapped up in rugby um, that we've kind of got to pull it apart. Right. And put it back together you know, now at the university level, it's like, well, what are your other professional and academic opportunities? What are your interests off the field? And, you know, if you're not getting good answers from, from players, when you ask those questions, you, you need to do some work with them there. Right. And, uh, and if you, if you have varied interest, if you're that sort of like T person, you know, you're wide mm. in a lot of areas and deep, you know, deep in one or two, you know, you're just being a good example to those players that, you, you know, really need to untangle their identity from, rugby as a as a you know game played on grass 100 percent. all right well what about what about some of those things from guatemala that that have really stuck with you uh all those years back that you still you know feel have relevance now and that you you kind of maybe catch yourself every now and then going oh i, I learned that there or that was important to me uh back in uh in jella so i i think now uh and this was something that uh, a boss of mine communicated to me like back in my summer camp days as well. He kept this, uh, this soccer ball on his desk mm -hmm. that was, that was made by tied together and stuffed plastic bags. Wow. And, uh, and I know whenever I would have this sort of like outlandish idea and I'd want to spend a bunch of money or something like that, he would just toss it to me. Right. And, and he had picked that soccer ball up on his travels and because he'd seen like uh, some kids that lived on the street playing soccer, right. In an alley. Mm, mm. And, and I think the sort of like resourcefulness and creativity, um, you know, can, can take you far as a coach. I think it's easy. You know, we were talking about the, the ills of the sort of uh, social media flexes that coach have. And you see coaches now that mm. uh, are posting like the latest, greatest equipment and, um, you know, that everything is cutting edge and, oh, or this bad. Or the worst referees. Yeah, that too. That too. Yeah, exactly. And uh, not, a, not a fan, just uh, personally. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think I think when I look 
when I look back at that, you know, it's like, oh, well, if only we had a spaceship to teleport us to all of our matches. Well, yeah, that'd be mm. really great for their bodies mm. and yeah. our recovery and things like that. But sometimes you just need to reset and kind of take it back to the simple, uh, yeah. take it back to the resourceful. And that's something that, you know, and we're, we're a really well-resourced university program in America. I don't, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, we're, we're street kids playing in an alley by any means, mm. but, but if you're not willing to bring that resourcefulness and that creativity, you're going to squander a lot of your resources. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so we try to be really good stewards of what we have and, and, and always try to think of, always try to think of another way. Like I always joke with my coaches now that, you know, the places I've coached and the places I've been like our, our problems as a team are not real problems that mm -hmm. like they wouldn't be salient outside of this off this office like it most people in the world would just laugh at us you know yeah. if, if we if we really labored over these problems and and obviously um to 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 players you're dealing with in the moment or you know people who have like real things wrong in your life you need to think long and hard about those things and give mm -hmm. people compassion and attention that they deserve um but where where there is a will there is a way and and i think that's something I learned in, in my time in the third world and, you know, in, in the summer camp world before that. Yeah. I think that's, that's an important one. And you, you see that lost a lot in, in certain environments, but also other environments. It's uh, it's not like, you know, the all blacks and New Zealand rugby is um, pretty well renowned for having pretty, you know, humble kind of facilities and, um you know nothing nothing too amazing and you know there's talks of when dan carter went over to france going oh we'd never do this over here with like these kind of posh kind of conditions and things like that and i, I think that's good and if you do have those great conditions you you can get it through community and and reconnecting with you know those around you and volunteer work and those kind of things to to keep the group and the community humble yeah and and i would i would point to the sevens world you know you look at Fiji stringing, you know, multiple uh, gold medals together, mm. lifting weights in a pavilion, running yeah. sand hills, yeah. you know, carrying each other and, and not much more. Mm. Um, and I, I suppose that's both literal and figurative, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and so, you know, it's, it's easy to focus on again, uh, the bland, the brand new hit shield from such and such a company that's going to revolutionize the game. Mm. Um but at its core, I mean, coaches say it all the time, right? At its core, rugby is a simple game. Uh, and sometimes we just have to let it be that. Yeah, 100%. Totally agree. And, and what about you as a player? When did you when did you start playing? What were those kind of first experiences like that, that made you, you know, fall in love with the game initially? So uh, most Americans in my generation, you know, I'm, I'm late 30s. Our first exposure to rugby was at college or university you know yeah. and so i played the gamut of your typical american sports football basketball that sort of thing mm -hmm. and um you know our our university had a very uh i wouldn't even say it was poorly organized i'll just say it was a non-organized <laughs> rugby club that had been operating right. for like 30 years or something like that um it's much more organized now like to, to all of our you know to all of our delights but mm. um yeah. And so I, I just saw the game as this sort of like 
crazy chaotic athletic space right yeah. before i before i understood any of it right and mm. and uh again with mo most american sports like i played a lot of football like american football mm. and so everything was about structure and knowing exactly where you're supposed to be um but but i played a lot of basketball that was kind of my first love and what i played yeah. every night until the street lights came on you know mm -hmm. and so the sort of like passing to space you know uh support like those are you know, those are, uh, concepts, keeping the ball away from your body. Those are all like really basketball one-on-one, right? Yeah. So the, the, my background just kind of helped me fall in love with the game and, you know, rugby in America then was like very countercultural. Um, yeah. and I think, I think in some ways the game in America still suffers from those origins. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, when you're, 19 and stubborn and don't care what anybody says that's those are pretty attractive qualities yeah, as well 100 yeah it's interesting you talk about basketball i've always found like um you know i've been in canada for 15 years um and you know coaching high school for 11 years of that 15 and i've always found the basketball guys have always been the ones who have transferred the the most seamlessly and you know, it is that space. It's that, you know, awareness of what's around you. It's, you know, it's a 360 game, but uh, they're, they've got the ability to adapt to, to depth and space and width. And, um, and I've always, always found well, certain, certain players, but the majority of football players have been the hardest to convert because uh, of the stop, start, whistle, um, very singular kind of ideas on, on what your role is. And, um, yeah, I think uh, I think there there there's some good observations there on in terms of like picking up the sport in a in a country where it's it's not the normal game. Yeah, and I give me a basketball player before the gain line and after the gain line, but give mm -hmm. me a wrestler at the gain line. Oh yeah, day. wrestlers are great. <laughs> eh? Oh yeah, it's too bad. You know, it's too bad in America they're the same season, so there's no yeah. overlap between yeah. the sports because you could make your perfect crossover rugby player. But there's For a lot sure. of there's a lot of good work going on, you know, like out in Colorado with the Raptors program. And right. e even a lot of MLR teams are starting to kind of sniff around the crossover space. And, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we're, I think the level of as rugby programs at universities have become more and more organized, we're getting better and better athletes. I was a crossover athlete in the sense that I was not athletic enough to play my favorite sports at my university. Right. Mm -hmm. But now you know, I've, I've coached plenty of students who were, who were, you know, applauded in their sport, uh, but still wanted to try rugby anyways. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think that's, that's a credit to sort of university investment and the, the really unique situation we have in American universities here. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And what about, what about coaching? What, what was some of the, you know, your first experiences and, and some of those moments where you're like, oh, okay, uh, could have done that better or wow, that, that was amazing. And uh, I think I can grow from that and develop that. Yeah. So, so I worked in the summer camping industry mm -hmm. uh, as I was wrapping up my, my education. And the thing is there, like everything has to be fun and everything has to be flexible uh, because Perfect. you, you never, yeah, right? grounding. Yeah. Perfect. And, yeah. and, and you had to coach for, pretty much eight hours a day, six days yeah. a week for 12 weeks straight through the summer. Good right? reps. Yeah. Yeah. So you get your time in. Right. And, and it wasn't only, you know, and I wasn't just coaching and I did a little bit of rugby with kids and things like that, but I was doing, uh, you know, 
I was teaching eight-year-old girls how to play volleyball and 12-year-old boys how to play soccer. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so you just kind of end up seeing coaching as more of a craft, you know, it's, yeah. it's yeah. something completely separate of the sport. And, and again, in the university setting now, that's one of the things I appreciate most about it is I can go watch a basketball practice. I can go watch a soccer practice, a, a football practice and, and have dialogues with those coaches and in a, in a really sort of, you know, easy, uh, but intentional, you know, intentional work environment. Um, and, and, and so I would say too, uh, one, a weird story of mine that, that is kind of burned in my brain is, uh, this one, this was in Texas, most of my summer camp experience. And we had this one term and it was almost all kids from Mexico. And again, didn't speak Spanish before I lived in mm -hmm. Guatemala for some time. And even how much I spoke Spanish would be debatable to my friends. Right. <laughs> and so after a uh, few guyos, you'd be pretty, pretty <laughs> loose. So, huh? man, you're, yeah, you're, you know it, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so we had this whole camp full of Mexican kids that we couldn't communicate. And we used to play dodgeball inside of a batting cage. So there was nowhere to run. And, mm. uh, and I remember, you know, it sounds like torture, but the kids would get into <laughs> yeah, it. You know, you it, yeah. yeah, you blow the whistle, they all yeah. go get the balls. And I remember this, this one student who was uh, just, he was very rotund. He was not, not an athlete by any means, yeah. but he, he decided the best use of his talents was I'm going to stand in front of the kids who can throw the ball really well and try to like block with a ball. Right. right. And he, he figured out this strategy all on his own. And I'm, I'm just kind of watching that kid, you know, and just kind of getting lost thinking about team stuff and coaching and things like that. And there was, there was one time where his team had lost all of the balls. Right. And it was just him and the best player on the team. And, and this, this little porker, right. From Monterey, Mexico, back the really good kid into the corner and like grabbed the sides of the batting cage to protect him. <laughs> and closed his eyes like he was in a firing squad right like closed his eyes like you know uh did the did the like hail mary sign mm. and and just waited for his inevitable destruction right yeah. and so all the balls hit this kid and then the really good kid gets all the balls and just gets everybody out and they won right and awesome so, they, so he's a tight yeah, end prop now is what you're saying I, I, I hope so. I certainly hope so. And like, <laughs> I think, I think my whole life I've just been kind of chasing that moment, like looking mm. for, for those kids on my teams now and the teams yeah, I've yeah. coached, like who, who is really just putting themselves out there for the team. And, yeah. and, you know, it's in rugby, it's, it's, uh, it hurts a little bit more than a kickball, uh, mm. you know, from time to time, but I, I just am always drawn to those kids that are, are so, consumed by the idea of team that they're really just willing to do whatever it takes and i'm yeah. i'm fortunate enough to have worked with you know dozens of them uh it, you know here in my here in my job now yeah yeah no it's a that's a great story and um yeah just before that you mentioned all the all the sports you coached and i yeah some stage in my high school coaching um journey i, I put my hand up to to coach volleyball for two years, having never played it, knowing nothing about it. And I thought, you know what, I want to, I want to do this because I want to, I want to coach a sport that I have no clue about, but I want to apply the coaching principles that I know a lot about uh, in rugby and I had such a fun season. And what I, what I learned from that season was um, 
the 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 approach the pedagogical approach is really really important but then the technical knowledge is also as important so what i what i lacked that i couldn't give the team was like a really good technical grounding and tactical grounding um, what i could do was like create a really fun games-based environment that they'd never probably experienced before in volleyball but if i was to do it again i would bring someone in who who was a volleyball player and had that that technical skill so i think any coaches out there who who just want to focus on rugby um you exploring other sports is is key so so with volleyball being like a what do they call it like a tower defense game or a missile mm -hmm. game right mm -hmm. where you're you know you're defending more static space um how do you think that changes the approach to coaching because you know rugby soccer basketball all invasion games win space create mm -hmm. opportunity you know, how do you, how does that side of the sport change it in your opinion? Well, well, that's probably where I fell short was I didn't recognize that until you just told me that. So I, I, I basically went about the, the game where I would, I would play games like I would in rugby. I'd have maybe a, a, a six on four and the four got a certain amount of points. Uh, if they, if they got double points for every time they, they scored a point or one day I brought in blankets and put it over the nets and they had to play without seeing like the middle of the, of the court. That's awesome. Um, yeah, no, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. And then another time I lowered the nets down, they all had to sit down on the ground and we played a smaller, a smaller area and they had to kind of bum scooch around and try and, uh, I, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I, I, I knew what I was doing a non, uh, non-linear pedagogy kind of style of thing, but I didn't really have a big plan in terms of where I was getting these kids two except for the fact they were in grade eight and grade nine and i just wanted them to have a whole bunch of fun well uh, and in there. i can see that because there's there's been times where i'm like i don't i don't really know where we're going mm -hmm. but if i just mess with these constraints enough you know yeah. take away their sight take away the space take away the numbers add things mm -hmm. here and there i'm sure i'll stumble onto something worthwhile right yeah. and i think i think everybody's probably done that before without admitting it mm -hmm. where you're like you know, maybe, maybe we should just play 15 on 25 today and see how that yeah. works out. Right. But, but I think that's good coaching because if you go in and say, okay, we're going to do offloading today and I'm going to ask these five questions and then we're going to go to this next stage and then we're going to do this part of offloading and then I'm going to bring in support. Um, but what if the team's not ready for that? Or what if the team's past that? What, as a coach, you've already planned your session to be at this certain spot at this certain bus stop but what if they're at another bus stop um how, how do you approach that so right. i don't and see any issue with that at all no and, and that's where the flexibility you learn uh working with eighth and ninth grade women or boys or whatever right there mm. their attention spans are like gnats anyway mm. so yeah and, and i don't think that really changes all that much in the college space no. either <laughs> right and so if, especially with men oh my goodness. yes yes <laughs> they're gonna forget your mistakes like and obviously yeah. you have to be committed to forgetting theirs as well right yeah but they're 100%. gonna forget your mistakes so fast right that that really that should give you license to make them mm, that's a great point yeah that's a really good point cool and uh after guatemala uh we'll jump back into guatemala you, you finished up with guatemala came back to the US, what, what was your coaching role or your coaching pathway uh, after Guatemala that ended up uh, leading you to your role with Lindenwood? So I, 
I uh, just got lucky, to be honest. Mm. And, uh, you know, right time, right place, but a whole lot of persistence as well. Yeah. Um, my, my wife and I, we really weren't sure where we want to live. Uh, I was doing some like contract work for a company from Spain, uh, but mm -hmm. in, in Maryland where I had family and this small college in Massachusetts, uh, had a job to start a rugby team and, and jobs like the one I have now were pretty rare then this would have been yeah. in 2009, 2009. Mm -hmm. So 13 years ago or something. And, uh, I called and called and called the hiring manager was on vacation. Uh, it would be considered cyber stalking today. Like the, the lengths <laughs> I went through to contact this guy. Uh, and, and we're still friendly, you know, we don't work together anymore and he still makes fun of me to this day about it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I stalked him on Twitter, which was also kind of a new thing back then, yeah. I, st I everywhere. And so, uh, so they, I finally got a hold of somebody and they told me they weren't interviewing any out of state candidates. And I was like, oh, well, it just so happens I'm going to be in the area Tuesday. <laughs> I'll show up, have my interview and leave you guys alone. And, uh, and then I hung up the phone before they could say no yeah. and works every time, some of the time. Right. And so, <laughs> so I, I drove up and interviewed and got the job and, uh, and my, my basic pitch was, well, uh, you know, I've worked with, with students in a bunch of ca capacities. And if I can start a rugby program and, you know, with third world resources where I don't really speak the language, mm. uh, I can do that at a, at a, you know, a division two a university in, in Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And uh, so, so what was that, that first season like? So, you know, it's, it's the classic American tale of just all the crossovers, you know, yeah. let's get, let's get the, the kids who are uh, maladjusted from the baseball team, the soccer mm. team, the track team, the, and, and some of them were excellent athletes. And then from there I could begin the more classic, experience that I have now of like actually recruiting rugby players yeah, into that yeah. team. And, and, you know, over, uh, how long was I there? Seven years, we built a really successful women's program and we were top 10 and 15s and top, uh, top five and sevens. Uh, and so we had, we had really, really done well with going from crossovers into more mature rugby players. Mm. Uh, and th that was over seven years, uh, at, at that program. Right. And, and which university was that one? That was American International College in Springfield, Massachusetts. So okay. a, a very small, uh, you'd almost say boutique college, uh, just in, in an urban environment in Massachusetts. And, mm -hmm. and so it had completely different challenges, right? I mean, mm. uh, it was a really urban area, like uh, crime was a little bit of an issue. And so recruiting rugby players who were also like more comfortable with that environment, mm. um, managing things like a scholarship budget and a travel budget. Those weren't really things that, uh, that I, I had done before having to go work with like a, you know, from a season plan now, uh, mm. a, as a quote unquote real coach than what yeah. I was doing in Guatemala. So, yeah. it, I mean, there were tons of challenges and I just kind of continued to fail upward. Um, and, and got a lot of grace from my administrators, a lot of grace from my students. And mm. I was really able to grow into a professional coach there. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. And, yeah. And so how did the Lindenwood role come about after that? So I had met the coach previous to me, like working in the summer camp setting, we were just kind of having a blast and uh, we had set up this little 
this little drill where, uh, you know, like he was going to run, it was just like shapes off nine defense off nine, just really mm -hmm. fun, simple stuff. And we're like, Oh, let's, let's turn some screws with these high school kids and like make it really fun. And he yeah. and I just had a blast like coaching together and his, his little group, like carved my group a couple of times and vice versa. And yeah. we we're of course getting competitive and high-fiving the kids. And yeah. you know, we, we had a great time and he called me maybe a month later and I was like, Hey, I'm leaving my job. Uh, I think you should take it, you know? And so, uh, I've, I've had a, you know, a Skype interview. This was pre COVID. So yeah. Skype was the, Skype. Uh, that's how I did yeah. all my podcasts before, before, COVID. before <laughs> zoom. Right. Yeah. Talk about a missed opportunity. Um, yeah. Skype should have been zoom. Right. Yeah. And, exactly. uh, yeah. Microsoft has enough to worry about. They're not, they don't care about Skype, <laughs> but anyways, the, you know, so I, I interviewed with the administration and things like that, and then flew out to kind of see everybody and meet everybody uh, met with some of the the senior team and I, I called my wife uh, and just said, hey, we're going to move halfway across the country to Missouri. And she said, OK, let's do it. And uh, good wife. She is an excellent wife beyond <laughs> beyond a measure. Um, it, you know, she was able to keep her job in Massachusetts. It's worked out for our family really well. That's great. That's yeah. Awesome. And our, our two kids really, really call this home now. Um, you know, my my son thinks he's a college rugby player. He has you know, 80 older brothers, 80 uncles. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. He loves, he loves going in the locker room after the games and, you know, singing the victory song, eating pizza That's with good. the boys. Like he's, That's he's definitely good. one of the guys, if you ever look on any of our social media stuff, it's, it's almost like a where's Waldo. You'll see a, <laughs> you'll see up. a, yeah, you'll see a six-year-old on somebody's shoulders somewhere. And <laughs> it's just, it's great. Uh, and it, yeah. And, and it's challenging for me, right? Because now it's on me to create an environment. I know he's welcome in. Right. Mm, and, yeah. and, and I have to recruit players. I'm comfortable with him looking up to, because that's, that's going to happen regardless. Right. So, but, but um, it's also great for the, the young guys you're coaching as well. Like they're going to be fathers one day. hundred percent. And, mm. uh, and everything you do just means a little bit more when somebody's watching you, right. Yeah, Somebody, yeah. you know, is looking up to you and, and that's been great for them when we do youth clinics and we bring kids into the locker room or, yeah. uh, you know, we get them out coaching and things like that. And, uh, yeah, it just, yeah. It just or, means or when more. they're out, when they're out and about in the town, when you're not watching them, you know, like they, they're, yeah. they're, they're cognizant of that. And they're, they're with each other, uh, more, you know, they're the only people they're with more than myself and the coaching staff. Yeah, right. Then, exactly. then it's probably their professors and, you know, and, uh, and maybe their girlfriends and parents and stuff like mm. that after that. Right. So they need to be able to look out for each other, uh, especially when we're not around. Yeah. Cool. All right. So what, what's the university rugby landscape look like in, in terms of, you know, competition structure, recruitment, funding, those kind of things in the United States. It's, you know, from an outsider looking in, I'm always a little, a little confused. There's a lot of D's, there's a lot of numbers. Um, Talk me through it. So the the big thing for everybody, you know, out there in the world to understand is that America, like in much of history, is kind of a the Wild West. Like it's a <laughs> it's a new frontier. And you know, Commonwealth countries in particular operate on these super rigid pathways where the money from test rugby funds mm. all the way down and it's super linear and organized and yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's meant to, right? But we don't have that. Our union it makes no money. We make mm. no money off of test matches. We're we're essentially all like anything we do is funded directly from World Rugby, mm. and so 
they there is no money to invest in college rugby or grassroots rugby or really even any mm. part of rugby like you look at our professional league and that's all private investment you know there's mm. no yeah. uh it, it, you know it's not like the rfu owning the premiership or you know having control over those teams yeah the, these are partnership agreements and and i would put partnership in quotation marks for sure yeah. so university rugby is very much the same way you know my biggest stakeholder is not my local geographical union it's not canterbury right mm. it's not it's certainly not usa rugby or even world mm. rugby mm. my my largest stakeholder is my employer which is my individual university yeah. um because they're one who signs my paycheck who uh sets up our scholarship structures so we can recruit and attack attract talent they're the ones who sign us up for the buses to get us to games and and mm. they really are our singular stakeholder um and because of that it just that's where when uh when you mentioned a lot of d's and a lot of numbers and things like that because there is no stronghold uh, because we don't have a strong national union um that's where you see competing competitions pop up it's mm. where you see sort of things sort of uh, re regionalize as needed for certain groups of schools. And, and that's really where a lot of the confusion comes from. And there's, there's really good people working to sort of standardize and, and create, I'll call it a more perfect union. Um, mm -hmm. But for right now, we're all, we all sort of answer to our universities and we're in the competition uh, that, that best suits our college, our university. We're, we're very fortunate, you know, we play amongst, uh, I would say the best group of colleges and universities um, by playing standard organization, things like that, um, you know, in, in the U S but there's a, there's a lot of other rugby going on as well. Um, mm. Yeah. It's uh, like I said, it is very much the wild West, um, but at the same time, the U S university system is the largest high performance system in the world. Yeah. Right? So when you look like, look at the Olympics, right. You look at like the summer Olympics, uh, and you're rooting for that that uh, small uh, nation's uh, sprinter. Well, that sprinter yeah. doesn't train in Paraguay. That sprinter goes to university in Florida. You yeah. know, yeah. when you look at uh, when you look at like the Italy softball team, all of those all of those women for the most part compete in America, right? Mm -hmm. And they just happen mm -hmm. to play for Italy in the Olympics, and yeah. so for rugby to have access to that true i believe that that's what's most unique about american rugby no other uh no other country in the world especially rugby country in the world has as large a high performance system through via academics and universities as yeah. america does and we would do well to further leverage that it, for our you know national success oh for sure and um keeping with the wild west uh theme how how do the how are the rankings uh sorted out uh the rankings are crazy um i, think, I, don't, I don't know and this is not a loaded question I, no. I i try to look at it and try to understand and i'm like okay there's there's controversy yeah. here i just don't understand it so the like any like any country the the people who uh, god bless them but the people who take all of their time and energy to write on and comment on and mm -hmm. organize rugby are like a, are just a specific type of human, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so it's a cottage industry here, just like it is anywhere else. Um, and, and these are independent voices who have somehow kind of 
just been around long enough to and written enough to where people are interested in what they have to say. And then you mix those people with a subset of coaches with a couple of conference administrators and you get this like really strange mix. And, um, <laughs> and I'm sure I, I don't vote on any of that stuff, uh, yeah. you know? And so I'm sure there's, there's like a little bit of positioning going on. You know, I want to rank this mm. team lower because my team's high. So my team can be higher. There's, there's that in every, every setup everywhere. Mm. Um, but I think one, one thing I'm, I'm particularly looking forward to is just, moving towards a more like algorithmic distribution of rankings. So that takes into account things like strength of schedule because everybody can't play everybody. The country's too big or too regionalized. However, the parts of the country where regions do intersect or teams are going to fly somewhere and play somebody else, not in their comp um, can really add a lot of value. And so Mm. we're going to put more weight on those matches as well as, you know, uh, as well as schedule results overall. And I think, I think eventually we'll have a better product, but there's just a lot of trial and error, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and of course, everything that comes out, pe- people are going to get upset and everybody's entitled to their opinion. And I'm no different, you know, yeah. uh, we had a list of all Americans come out and I, I felt a couple of schools got robbed and I fired off a couple of salty text messages to people and, you know, and, <laughs> and that's, 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 awesome. that's, yeah, but you know, you, as a, as a coach, you just get so used to advocating for your, for well, your, players, your main job, right? Right. Advocating for your mm. players or, you know, and, and it's, it's hard at, like we were talking about identity earlier. Right. And it's hard just not to take things so personally. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and we do have some good leadership, you know, in the college game. And I was, I was politely reminded of that and and said, Hey, you know, take a step back. Let's think about the process, design a better one for this coming year. And, yeah. and we have the impact because again, it's the wild West. We have the ability and the opportunity to impact those systems um, here in America. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, you know, focusing just on your role at Lindenwood, what's a, what's a, what's a week look like for you in season in terms of, you know, waking up on a Monday morning to, you know, wrapping things up on a Sunday night. Yeah. So the, um, I think the thing about working at a university in America is there's just so many more different groups of stakeholders, you know, Mm -hmm. so professional coaches are just our, our coaches primarily. Right. But Mm -hmm. uh, we end up being an ambassador for the game in our own, uh, you know, in our own little swimming pools or in our own little ponds. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm part of an athletic department that has, you know, 40 some odd sports in it, uh, all with their own head coaches, all with their own individualized need. And I report to an administrative structure um, mm-hmm. with that deals with academics and budgets and compliance and, you know, a- any number of things. Right. And so I have to report to all these people and, and I think, I think most coaches would be frustrated by this kind of stuff, right? Anything that gets me turning inwards away from outwards towards the player, outwards mm. towards our next jobs, things like that. And and I have a great like assistant coach and a, a staff that kind of helps me deal with some of that stuff so I can keep my focus outward. But everything from, you know, uh, Zoom calls with, you know, potential students all over the world to raising money you know, short, like shoring mm. up our finances with donations and yeah. building that group of donors, engaging like alumni and previous, you know, members of the club and students of the university uh, who, who do want to give back and 
in, you know, money, time or talent. And, uh, and so then, you know, the fight ends up being, well, coaching the team, as far as everybody else is concerned, is your last job, right? But to mm-hmm. you, it has to be your first job. And yeah. so there's yeah. always that tension as a university coach of, okay, am I, am I staying up to speed with, you know, what, what I hope is best practice now? Am, mm-hmm. am I, you know, are my deliverables to the students at, at a professional standard that like I can appreciate and I think they'll appreciate as well? Uh, am I coming in with fresh ideas that challenge them or, you know, are there going to be those weeks when we're just going through the motions and we're just kind of getting through it, you know, and mm. um, it, it is challenging because you are tugged at in a lot of different directions. Uh, but, but yeah, the week, you know, for us, we'll train, you know, Monday, Tuesday. I mean, we train every day. It just, it changes. Right. So Monday, you know, we'll have a, just a quick meeting and uh, an install session. We have a great strength and conditioning coach and a large gym it actually mm. used to be a horse barn, you know? Oh, and wicked. so, yeah, they go and work with our strength and conditioning coach. She's excellent, super professional. And then Tuesday, you know, we tend to front load our week. So we'll have a big contact session on Tuesday, um, you know, get those collisions in depending on the time of the year. It is how many, how many we're going for. And then, uh, you know, Wednesday, they're really recovering from that. So we'll have a small kicking session, small line out session. They'll go in for another lift, but, you know, physios open to the guys, uh, mm. athletic therapy, that kind of stuff is available. And then Thursday, you know, we're training in our teams for the weekend, um, you know, kind of more game plan oriented, you know, we're, we do, you know, we do a lot of the modern stuff. We, we try to hit, you know, our total meter targets for the week with GPS periodization and monitoring mm-hmm. and whatnot. And uh, try to do the same with collisions and high speed meters. You know, I, I find the hardest part of all of that is, is just, uh, you know, it's, it's easy for guys to just kind of get, through a practice or um you just always need to like keep an eye out on your high speed meters right some players are like way too much and then other guys are just kind of trotting through practice you know so how do you kind of manufacture that to to get them in a sweet spot to where you know Mm. you know you Mm. know they're ready to play and then uh friday you know we'll travel uh or a captain's run if we're home another weight session for guys who aren't playing or or just a prep session for guys who are in the weight room Mm. and then uh you know group meetings, things like that. Um, but it, you know, the week's kind of tick and then we'll play one to three matches on the weekend. Uh, and then, you know, Saturday, uh, you know, we, we have a, a lively home atmosphere and it's a lot of fun to bring, to bring players into, and we might Mm -hmm. have potential students visiting and we'll bring them into the locker room so they can kind of get a look at everything. Or, you know, you do that Saturday morning breakfast pregame, uh, yeah. we, we joke around and call it like a jazz brunch, you know, and uh, they, they go into the wrestling room, do a little like primer, wrestle a little bit just to get the mm. testosterone going. So mm. it's, it's a really full week for the, for the guys, you know, and I think it's important to keep your finger on the pulse. Uh, it's easy to over-program, you know, and uh, yeah. we've certainly been guilty of that. So keeping your finger on the pulse, whether you survey them, whether you meet with them, whatever mm. that is, and just make sure everybody's having fun and feeling fresh. You yeah. Know? Yeah, that's that's pretty important. Um, yeah, and then you know Sunday uh, tend to be for analysis, and mm-hmm. then uh, Monday you're you know right right back, back at, at it. it. Yeah, yeah, cool. And you had a pretty good uh, pretty good year with the MLR draft. Can you talk a little bit through that? Um, some of the success you, that the university achieved there, and the players themselves. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
so it's been the advent of the MLR and the sort of like nascent professional era that we're in in the mm. U.S. Is, has really changed uh, why players look at certain colleges and changed what they want their outcomes to be. And so that's been a, there's been a learning curve there for me personally. Um, and, and just the things they say are different now. Um, you know, not all the time, but plenty of the time. Mm -hmm. And so one, one thing that I, uh, I really like about it is that our national teams are now taking players from the MLR, not from the college ranks. Yeah. Uh, so when I, when I first started at Lindenwood, we had a good handful of guys that were, getting regular playing time with the USA. And it was, it was very, very difficult for them to keep up with their studies and go and yeah. play. And if I'm an international coach, who's going to lose his job, if I lose this match, uh, because that, that was, that's a thing that happens if you're an international coach, mm. I don't really care about, you know, Timmy's studies or his degree yeah. or things like that. I just need this player and I'm willing to use world rugby regulations to strong arm him into playing for me. Right. Mm. Um, for which, for the USA is like minimal to no pay. Right. So, yeah. uh, and so that it was really difficult, but now that the MLRs come in, it's been a good buffer for us and in the yeah. college ranks. And so despite the changing of the players, like stated desires out desired outcomes. Um, and, and so we have had a lot of success. Uh, I think, I think we have as professional of a setup as possible without, uh, with the level of staffing that we have and, while allowing the guys to fully focus on getting a meaningful degree right yeah and and that's that's really where the the u.s system sets itself apart but i think we're doing really well to maximize that um i get great feedback from the people who run mlr teams that our players when they when they arrive they are they're prepared for the next level there's of course things they need to learn and get up to speed on but they understand how to fight for a spot how to get better how to be coached and mm. and that feels good right as a as a sort of creator of a program right that it's that yeah. it's certainly working uh and so last year we had the most players drafted uh, i believe we had six players drafted and and even more importantly all five out of those six uh received meaningful playing time in the league you know in their first year out which i think yeah is, is the best sign. And, and the one who didn't, uh, was hung up on visa issues. So I'm not gonna, you know, I'm, I'll go ahead and take that win as well. Yeah, right. And six so, on six. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so this year, um, we all, we had five players drafted, um, the, the most in the league. And then, and I, I think now as, as teams are, um, as teams are building their own structures, be it regional high school academies, be it, uh, you know, sub academies for their professional team we're seeing more of our players who graduate who aren't drafted get invited down on like a three-week training contract mm. for these games for for a tryout type you know mid mid to long-term stint which which again is a is a good sign of success um yeah and and so it's kind of uh it's 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 great for those guys but we still have other guys who are going to graduate and get good jobs and be really good club men as well and and understand the game well and you know we have a, a kid who's just recently graduated and and you know he's moving out to play for a club and i was like he'll start at scrum half for your club for 20 years you know mm. like that's like mm. as a club like what else what else could no, you really there's value want? in that right there's so yeah, much there's value just in as it. much value in that 
exactly. And the student's mm-hmm. going to extract value from that club and them helping them start a new life in, in a mm-hmm. tough to crack into city. And, and that's kind of the way rugby always worked. Right. I, yeah. and, you know, and I, I see no re- reason why it can't continue to work like that as nah. well. Um, and, nah. and for those to be really valuable and attainable outcomes to, you know, 75% of the kids who play university rugby. Yeah. Well, I, I moved, I came to Canada 17 years ago, met my wife who played in the rugby, uh, the women's team of my club here, the Montreal Irish. Uh, I then moved back here 15 years ago. We continued to play. We got married. We've got three kids. Uh, we always talk about our friends and how 95% of our friends uh, are somewhat involved in rugby. And uh, yeah, I think that's really important. I think a lot of coaches can get hung up on, and I've definitely fallen into that trap is, oh, how many players have I got into a U20 national team? Or how many have I have kicked on to professional? There's, how many How many are still playing now that you coached 10 years ago? Like that's that's also a massive win. I Or, you know, I, I get now, I'm starting to get the messages coach, I'm in charge of this high school team and I have ah, no idea best. what yeah. to do. Yeah. Th- those are always so fun. And yeah. like, can you send me like our attack, our attack documents, like from when I played, I'm just going to steal them. I'm like, yeah, you're not stealing not them. They're yours. No, you're yours. Start there and Go then make the mistakes and scrap it. You know, like yeah, yeah. it's, it's really fun. Uh, it's really fun to have those conversations now. Yeah. And it's, it's just as rewarding. And, and, you know, those are, those are different sorts of trophies, right? Those are, mm. those are conversations you're having on a, on a really personal level with somebody. Uh, and, and, you know, you sort of watch them grow and fail as a university student and you help them along in that. And they've started this whole other period of life uh, as a postgraduate. And now yeah. you get to watch them grow and fail and grow and fail in that. And it's uh, like, it's the rewarding part of being a coach, isn't it? Yeah. hundred percent. Cool. And what about, uh, you mentioned your assistant coaches there. Um, how, how do you engage with your assistant coaches into, you know, making sure that you as a group are constantly growing, constantly developing, that there's, you know, accountability, you know, between you and them and them and you, what, what's some of your processes there? Yeah. So, so there's a, a lot of different ways, right? Um, so I, I spoke before about, uh, well, let me back up there. Uh, you have to have just really good channels of communication and, Mm. you know, coaches, coaches need to, every coach is going to have an ego. Um, You, you don't want to get rid of it. You want to really care about what you're doing and take pride in what you're doing. And and that's a lot of the function of your ego. Right. But if, if you can't just put it in a drawer for a little while and have a good conversation uh, with somebody, or for me as a coach, if I'm not willing to have that conversation, I'm doing a disservice to that coach and totally uh yeah and and we have um you know we we have a group of like six to eight coaches kind of somewhere in there and uh we all you know we're we're most of us are about the same age some are younger and they're just now getting married but a lot of us have kids the same age and are in a mm. similar station in life and it, it makes it really easy to kind of carry weight for each other from time yeah, to time yeah um yeah you know, like I'm, I'm going to have to miss a match because uh, my sister's getting married this fall. She didn't get the no uh, weddings in the fall, like rugby <laughs> memo, you know? And so we, we uh, got married on a Sunday because of that. Memo. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Lots of people know, apparently my sister doesn't. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. And, um, 
but I, you know, and so I'll, I'll miss a, a match weekend, you know, this fall. And I, I have literally nothing to worry about. And the rest mm. of the staff will split up in, in two different places. And I know like they'll look after the operations people. Like we have players who are either hurt or have had to hang up the boots or even um, people are just interested in athletic communication or operations that help mm. out with that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so they'll, they'll grab the footage, they'll get everything done that needs to be done, you know? And so if you can't extricate yourself from the process every now and then you're probably holding on too tight as yeah, well. I agree. Um, and so there has to be that trust and communication. And then, you know, your job is as head coach, I think is just to bring like ideas, bring processes. And one thing that, you know, I'm really loving is we have a, a young, he helps out with the scrum mainly, but he's really interested in attack. Well, he's also coaching. He coaches on the side with us, but he's also coaching like a men's club team. You know, mm. that that's not a huge commitment, but now he's taking some of our concepts and attack, boiling them down to like their simplest iterations, mm. building it into that men's club. And then coming back to me with notes, like mm. I felt, I felt this worked. I felt this like, why, why would that? And I got to watch the men's club game and talk to him like, Hey, would you like a note about, your attack on the weekend. He's like, yeah, of course. And so again, just, just being able to take ideas from each other, put them in different scenarios. Um, mm. it, I think every coach you've had on your podcast would say something along the lines of, you know, coaching is theft and adaptation, right? Yeah, and so, 100%. so but just doing that kind of in each other and then, you know, listening to ideas. So we have a lot of players training needs to be really well organized. We don't have time to stand around. And so mm. under understanding, well, if we worked in four groups this week, or if we move this part of training to this, this part, we might get, you know, they might have more energy when we really need them to have it. All right, well, let's mm. try it this week and see how mm. that goes. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not, we're not, we're more married to each other than we are married to the way we do things. Right. Mm. And so if, if, a, if a coach has an idea that I want to support uh, like it's incumbent to me to support that idea um, until it, uh, you know, until it proves itself useful or otherwise. Right. Um, but if, if you, if you nix everything right away, <clears throat> sorry, if you nix everything right away, the coach doesn't feel useful. Right. No. And I don't know, you just want to, you want to give people that space and initiative. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I think it was today I was in my office with one of the coaches and, I, you know, I just said, sometimes I, I don't say anything because I want to see, I want to give people space and see if they take it right. Mm. Whether that be an operations manager an assistant coach or things like that. And, and he's like, yeah, so when, you, if, if you don't know me really well, you might say, well, he's being in, that's intimidating, right? Because I don't know what to do. I'm on edge, mm. but the people who do work closely with me, they know, well, Macy's giving me space. I'm going to take it. Mm. You know, I'm going to say my piece or use my idea. And I think, I think just giving the people around you space and, and again, you're just going to learn more about those coaches too. Right. And what, what they need from you. And so, um, yeah, space communication. And then I would say not lack of ego, but the adjustment of ego um, yeah. is, is important. Yeah. No, they're great points. And it probably leapfrog, leapfrogs me into my, uh, second last or penultimate uh, question. Um, what about your coaching philosophy? What, what, what would you feel? I hate the word non-negotiables, uh, but what would you feel are some things in your coaching philosophy that, that you hold uh, pretty dear and, and feel a, a pretty key to any team that you're, you're going to be involved in? 
So I, I really enjoy uh, bouncing back from a bad session. Right. So nothing gets me more fired up than when we like suck on a Tuesday, you know, and, and I go in and I'm, and you know, you review the footage, you review the numbers and you have an impression that you were terrible on the Tuesday. Mm. And then you kind of review your materials and you're like, yep, you confirm it. Yes, we were terrible. And then you, then you have a a turnaround where you're like, all right, we're going to get it back. And, and for me, it kind of goes back to like my core, right? How do I, how do I just inject a little bit of fun let everybody know like it's all right, right? And then and then carry on from it. And I think um I think that's been a strength of my of my coaching. You know, uh it's been part of who I am as a coach for sure. It's just mm. being able to leave it behind, bounce back, uh and and get back to being, like I said before, fun and flexible and and just get after it uh that that next day. Um and and players need to understand that they're gonna have bad sessions too, right? And yeah. you know what? And maybe, maybe they get dropped, right. If they have a bad session, there are consequences, you know, it's, it's hard. I know, I know we want to, we want to be compassionate. We want to love everybody, but there are real consequences to bad form. Right. For sure. Yeah. But we need to, we need to help them understand that it's like, they're only as good as their, their next day. Right. And so Mm. you've just got to move on with it and go. And so Mm. um, I I really enjoy that. And again, I would just say um, energy, uh, in the session, not necessarily from me. I'm not the run around and shout coach or anything like that, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our sessions tend to have a lot of energy, a lot of enjoyment and, uh, and we lean heavy on student leadership as well. There's way more yeah. of them, way more of them than there are of us, uh, despite having a large coaching staff, uh, for a university team. And, um, and that's one thing that rugby stands out on our campus on compared to other sports, you mm. know, um, but for instance, uh, uh, lots of, lots of USA rugby coaches would have had this, this, uh, experience where like every football coach in America got a hold of legacy, the, the all blacks book, yeah, about yeah. Leadership, you yeah. know, they all read it. And there was a, there was a summer where they were all gushing. Not sure the all blacks read it, but anyhow. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's neither here nor there, <laughs> but I, I can confirm that every football coach I know read it because they all sent me the same three text messages. Right. <laughs> and they're all sweeping uh, sheds and all that. Yes, stuff. no, that yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so the the head the head like conditioning coach for the football team comes up to me and goes, "Oh yeah, so I read this book. I talked to the guys about it. It was so awesome, transformative, man." And he's like, "Now at the end of weights, I just say sweep the sheds, and they all clean up so fast." And I, I just said, I stopped him, and we had a good relationship, right? You'd yeah, be a yeah. a total douchebag to do this to somebody that you didn't know well. Yeah. I was just like, Coach, why do you have to say it? Yeah. And, and he was, he was in the middle of a run. He took his headphones out or anything like that. And he just kind of like turned his head to the side a little bit and said, man, you're right. And he put his, he put his earphones in and just like kept jogging away. And we, and he, he caught up with me about it afterwards. And I'm like the, the whole point of it, it goes back to that student leadership, right? It's, mm. it's for them. It's for it to matter to them, not for it yeah. to matter to you, Yeah, you know? And so you can't force it. Yeah, exactly. And so we, we had a great talk about that. And, uh, he, that, that particular coach actually works for the special forces in the U S now, like yeah. conditioning soldiers. So, uh, again, like these, these people just end up everywhere, you know, I mean, that's rugby, isn't it? And, uh, mm. and so I would just say like, 
the uh, our administration loves that we we seem to be actively engaged in the production of student leaders yeah so yeah. for instance uh our guys love to go cheer for our ice hockey team right nice. they love to bang on the glass and a lot of international boys so they've yeah. never really seen ice hockey it's just yeah. again yeah. the same way i approach rugby it's just this crazy chaotic game mm. i've mm. never seen it before right and so and they love banging on the glass and I'm sure they're, you know, swearing at the other team as is customary in ice hockey, right? Yeah. You're in Canada. Nobody chirps like an ice hockey player, you know? <laughs> or a and, scrum half. Yes. That's, <laughs> I think that's where they learn it from. Yeah. And so, uh, so whenever, whenever it gets out of hand, like our security people and everything, they're like, oh, I know I can just, whenever I'm not happy with how things are going, I just go talk to your captain and get sorted out. Yeah. You know, and and so yeah. it's like they're never really a worry. Sometimes there's a little bit too much energy, but yeah. they know exactly who to go to. They know exactly yeah. how to speak to them, and it no one ever gets in trouble. They're just like, oh, I'll just go talk to to captain of whoever it is, and yeah. uh, and it'll get taken care of. And I'm like, thank yeah. you very much for doing yeah, that. You know, perfect. yeah. And, and so if we're if we're developing a group that can have that sort of energy and that sort of environment, but still regulate itself uh, yeah. as as sort of this large living breathing cloud of testosterone on our university campus we're doing a really good job i agree cool well we always wrap things up with the same final four questions when you were a kid growing up whether it be rugby or any other sport who was uh one of the players that you idolized you looked up to and you thought you know i like what they're doing so in american sports i loved isaiah thomas growing up uh and okay. the and the detroit pistons uh because right. they were all attitude they weren't the best athletes they weren't you know but they just they found a way like and they, again they were that version of like a really gritty team i know that yeah. term term is very much in vogue now um grit you know and uh <laughs> but they it's like they non-negotiables like, yes yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. or same or, feelings I mean, high performance <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, see there's that. so many so yeah. many culture <laughs> don't forget that one and so they but they were that that uh they were grit personified you know back yeah. in the day and they would do whatever it took to win and uh, i loved i loved isaiah thomas in particular but the, that whole bad boys pistons era mm. growing up and then i would say rugby um i've been secretly coaching every hooker i've ever coached to play like scott brits for saracens oh yeah, uh, yeah. and so it's a beauty i, I just loved yeah, I just loved all the different ways they used him. I loved uh, that he was involved in counterattack, that yeah. he was involved as a playmaker. And I don't know, I just, uh, I, I always admired their coaches for for saying, okay, we have this mm. player who really is an amazing player, an international caliber player, just happened to be born at the same time as like one of their best captains ever, yeah, yeah. right? And so so how do we use him for who he is right for the mm. player he is and what he can bring to the side and i just i just admire that it takes courage to coach that way yeah, especially yeah. in the professional ranks and yeah. uh you know I, I i remember sharing his highlights with a hooker that i coached for a long time and he even said he's like oh my god coach you've been coaching me to be this guy this whole time <laughs> you know i'm like good. yeah i guess i guess i have you know and, <laughs> and he was a super handy player like we used him to like manage our snap call like as a hooker you know mm -hmm. he would just trail the breakdown and if he saw anything on the weak side like yeah. he overruled He'd the play yeah, you know? and yeah. so That's he did sweet. lots of little stuff like that that i loved on the field and so i was like oh let's run with it you yeah. know and um 
yeah, so I, he's a uh, rugby wise, he's probably my favorite player ever. All right, cool. And uh, what about now? Who are some uh, some players you like watching? Players now, I like watching. Um, I really like so not necessarily individual players, but I love there's sort of a, there's tension at the international level now between sort of ruthless efficiency and mm-hmm. like and playing like the an ideal style of rugby right yeah, yeah. And, and and i think it, ireland tension, versus all blacks is a good example yeah a, a great one or mm-hmm. or i would even say you have like south africa and france together yeah, yeah, right yeah. along with along with uh, you know all blacks on the other side where it's like all right what is our you know, minimum acceptable outcome for this possession mm. and how do we get to that outcome with as little risk and few phases as possible. Mm, right. Because, yeah. and, and to be honest, in the heat of COVID, we were fortunate. We were able to play rugby. That's how we played because we weren't fit. The referees weren't fit. The opponents weren't fit. So yeah. it was more about energy than it was risk. So right. if we can, if we can win a rugby match in 5,000 meters versus seven, like, let's try and do that. Yeah, right. Yeah. We are training. We are training them almost like MMA fighters. We are almost only doing contact area stuff, not a lot of high speed stuff, and uh, and so trying to just be as efficient as possible. And watching the tension between those styles of rugby is really really interesting right now. And it oh. it certainly makes like Test Match Saturdays worth watching. Yeah, yeah, agree. All right, and third question: What about a high profile coach? Who do you who do you like? Uh, that's you know, doing good stuff internationally or, you know, pretty, pretty public profile. So with, with my favorite player ever, you know, Scott Brits, the, I just liked how he was able to kind of break the mold and just play rugby in a different way in mm-hmm. a, in a way that suited him in particular. And I think Jamie Joseph is doing that better than anybody else right now. You know, mm. Japan has so many unique parameters uh, via culture and uh you know physicality and everything else that if if he just tried to coach like everybody else you know they would get played off the park um, for sure yeah but and you know they're they're one of the only examples of a, a tier two country uh going you know into tier one status which mm. i think happens uh far too infrequently in in world rugby and uh and that's you know obviously he's he's building on foundations laid by eddie jones and things like that but mm. he's continued that and he's even taken it to another level where uh the pace and the ingenuity that they play with is just really refreshing you know um you can only watch like so many three-man pods you know on a saturday without without one <laughs> With a latch. Like, yeah. yes exactly exactly yeah. oh you guys yeah. watch that youtube video too yeah. also yeah. Yeah. um so i just i just think he's uh really interesting and w- when you talk about coaching as sort of organizing the team within the parameters that you're given, he has the most unique set of parameters and he's done the best job with them. Cool. Okay. Awesome. And what about uh grassroots coach? Last question. Who's someone who deserves a shout out in your community? And in, in my community, that's uh, Jimmy Harrison. He was my first assistant coach uh, at Lindenwood. He's quickly shot up the ranks here in the USA and he's now the head analyst for the, for the men's, you know, senior national team. Um, He would be at home in any international setup in the world, like his, his outcomes and his high standards for himself and his, his detail oriented nature, just really put the game into a perspective that coaches and players can understand. And it's hard, you know, when you really think about it, it's hard to train for a game 
when you have no idea what it actually entails, what the demands mm-hmm. of it are. And I, I just think he expresses that in such a relatable way um, that, that he's just a really valuable coach and he'll, he'll do really well, uh, whether that's with the USA or moving on into other professional ranks. But Jimmy is, uh, Jimmy's the man. Awesome. All right. Well, that's a perfect way to finish and uh, great shout out for Jimmy. Um, and, you know, really want to uh, thank you, Josh, for coming on the show and uh, sharing all the, all the details of what's happening, all the good things that are happening at Lindenwood. Uh, I loved uh, reflecting on uh, my time in Guatemala, even though it was uh, not rugby based, but it's, uh, it's a, it's an awesome country and uh, so cool to hear uh, that you, that you, uh, pretty much started rugby there so so that was that was awesome and yeah so thanks very much for coming on the show and uh sharing your story i'm really happy to be here thank you again yeah no worries perfect cheers thanks for listening to the rugby coaches corner podcast enjoyed the show please leave a review via itunes and keep listening for the next episode you can also follow us via twitter at rugby coaches cnr or via the website the rugby coaches until next time keep sharing ideas to make the game better